Hey, well, class is in. And at the beginning of this class, I want to encourage you guys to get ready for a lot of information. We're going to be talking about the word gifts as we begin to dive into those different lists in our conversation about spiritual gifts. Hey, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but John Christ actually has a video out there that was kind of interesting considering it was all about a group of people or a couple looking for a new church. And this guy was like basically doing sort of like that home shopper network kind of thing. I'm going to take you this one and tell you all the benefits in this. You can buy this church, you can buy that church. And really, I find that funny because the consumer mindset that comes to a church is so common anymore. We'll go sit and we consume churches. We visit churches. In fact, some of us may have even gotten to this place where uh, church becomes a lot like trying to choose your soda that you want when you walk up to the soda fountain, right? You're kind of like, well, I want like a, a root beer, but I don't want all the calories. I'm going to take the diet. And, you know, and in a real way, every day when we go and sit down online, you have a smorgasbord of churches that you can watch and participate, quote unquote, in. Now, I want to encourage you, though, that what we're doing is when we do that is we're disengaging with the real terms, the real idea of the church. You may be watching something. You may be enjoying something. You may be even being, quote, fed. But the bottom line is church isn't about being fed. In fact, you won't find that anywhere in the scriptures because the church is not somewhere we go. The church is something that we are. Right, And so when we engage in church, what I want to encourage you is to realize that we want to be able to be the church, not just go to church. And the best way that you and I can be the church is by knowing your gifts and using them in the church God's called you to. Now, so I want to encourage you to, as we dive into this, not to be a consumer, not to switch channel, but to stop and begin to challenge yourselves about these particular gifts, especially when we come to these next lists, these next three weeks. What we've been doing in this Gift Ed series is really examining this idea of spiritual gifts, that God has gifted every Christian. He's given us all, and I'm talking about all of God. The Trinity has given us these activities, these services, these gifts, that we're to use for one another at the promoting of Jesus as Lord. And the way we say it is we love God and He gives us His Spirit so we live for Christ and therefore we can share about Christ. And so we looked at that week one. Week two, last week, we really examined the idea of this, that the spiritual gifts are really what the Spirit does through us, beyond us, for the church. And so we're going to look at that as we examine these various word gifts. In fact, we said there were three categories, the word gifts, the next ones are kind of the service gifts, and Nick's going to be joining us and teaching us through that one. He's our youth director. And the third gift is, the third set of gifts is the miraculous gifts, and man, we'll dive into those and some interesting stuff there. But let me just challenge us as we dive in today about these word gifts for a second. There's a lot of interesting aspects to this, and if you're new to the spiritual gifts, um, you may be uncomfortable, or you may be interested, or you may be intrigued, but for those of you who have been around gifts long enough to see them used and misused, I want to encourage you to, to hear me out for a second. See, the purpose of the word gifts is to build up the church. The purpose of the word gifts is to indeed um, bring about a transformation, a consolation to the people around us. In fact, in if you really want to get a good idea of what those word gifts are like, you can look in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, because in 14, Paul kind of differentiates between something we call tongues or other languages that are spoken in these church groups and prophecy. And prophecy was, in this case, the catch-all term for any intelligible speech that's given to the church. And so when we talk about the word gifts, what we're looking at is the purpose of the word gifts, 
purpose of prophecy, according to verse 3, is for encouragement, for building each other up, and for consolation, for helping each other out. Um, it's basically the idea of instruction to the church. It's supposed to teach people. It's supposed to lead people to Christ. The word gifts are these powerful gifts that transform our knowledge about God and transform our hearts to move towards God, and it's a proclamation about God and His things. So as we dive into these, what we're going to see is they can be misused, right? So they're for this in the church, they're for the church, they're for building up and all this stuff, but the danger is when we put the word gifts in front of the word itself. And look, We've all met people who feel like they've heard from God. They're like, oh, God told me I'm supposed to marry this woman. Or God told me, you know, I'm supposed to be in this ministry. Or God told me I'm supposed to, you know, X, Y, or Z. And the problem is when you bring the Word of God to them, and you open up the Word of God to them, and you say, hey, you can't, you know, that's not really how God works. This scripture's against what you're saying. I mean, they go, well, God told me. And it's more about their internal personal feelings that they think is God versus what we truly know are the words of God. So I want to challenge us to remember that when we engage, the word of God comes first. Paul even put it this way. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he says this, if anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, so if you think you're prophesying or that you've got these spiritual gifts or whatever, he should acknowledge the things I'm writing to you are the command of the Lord. This should affirm this should be affirmed in what you believe. And so he says, hey, what I'm writing to you comes before. If anyone doesn't recognize this, the things I'm writing, he's not recognized. In other words, your internal feelings, whether you think you're a prophet, your internal feelings, whether you think you're a teacher, your internal feelings, whether you think you get a word or something like that, are, uh, are secondary to the Word of God. The Word of God comes first. In fact, the, uh, the, um, the author John, John, the best friend of Jesus, uh, one of his disciples, puts it this way. He says, we're from God. Speaking about the apostles, whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And by this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. If you want to know what spirit's speaking in you, he's saying, well, you'll know because it'll line up with the scriptures. It's not going to contradict. It's not going to go against. And therefore, we understand why we need to love Christ first, know His Word, know what He's taught us about Him before we really engage in all these things called the Word gifts. Now, one final thing, because there is a point where you may discover, hey, I've got the gift of teaching, or hey, I've got a gift of prophecy, or I've got a word. Hey, doesn't that mean I should be like the pastor? Or doesn't that mean I should have, I'm a prophet? Um, does that mean I have authority? Remember, Authority is not derived from your gift, okay? Authority is derived from the Scriptures. And the Scriptures say that the authority in the churches is given to the elders and, the el and then also the deacons as it moves down. So your giftedness does not give you the authority. That belongs, according, it belongs first to the Scriptures and therefore to all of us by the Scriptures, but found in the church through the leadership, namely the elders. And so I want to encourage you to remind you, just because you're discovering an amazing gift doesn't necessarily mean the office goes with it, does not mean the authority is there because, hey, I speak for God. That's not what we're doing here. And that is a wrong use of the word gifts. Now, as I kind of clarify that, maybe you're ready, then let's dive in. Let's take a look at some of these word gifts. And some of the list is found right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10 as part of this. So go ahead and grab your Bible if you want to open up there. 
It's, the, it's a list of nine gifts that Paul has laid out for the Corinthians, and we'll find other lists as we've shown in other spaces. But let's start here. If you've got your Bible open, we're going to start with word gift number one, and that is a message of wisdom. The first gift that we see here is a message of wisdom. Go ahead and look at verse 8 with me. For to one is given, through the Spirit, the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. And so what we have here is this utterance of wisdom. Now what in the world is an utterance of wisdom? What is a message of wisdom? This is critical because we can get all kinds of interesting thoughts and all kinds of interesting conversations when it comes to utterances of wisdom. But wisdom is an interesting word in Corinth. So let's start there first. Let's look into the background of what Paul's already said about this idea, this word Sophia, wisdom. And if you're named Sophia, you mean wisdom, right? So here's what we have. Wisdom was an idea in the Corinthian culture, a lot like we would say self-help, you know, self-development. It's this idea of having good practical knowledge about how to live life well. And so there were some very strong people who could speak extremely well. They had great rhetoric. They had great speeches. They had amazing ideas. They were the Tony Robbins of the Corinthian world, right? And the people in the church were being galvanized to them. They were excited about them. In fact, they were into what these Sophia, these wisdom scholars were teaching, so they felt they were getting knowledge, and they felt they were getting smart, and they were, they were so wise. And these people were also saying that thing about trusting a crucified God, that's foolishness. That's crazy. That isn't the wisdom of God. That's, that's not that. And yet Paul then spends two and a half chapters, if not more, debunking this thought because it's dividing the church. If you want to go in your own time and go read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 through chapter 3, you're going to see how much Paul speaks about wisdom. And his kind of culmination in all of it is he lands here in, ver in chapter 1 beginning in 22 and 24. He says, look, here's the problem. The Jewish people, they demand signs. They want miracles. They want to see that the Messiah has come through these actions. The Greeks, they seek wisdom. They want knowledge and applicable knowledge. They want to be scholars. You know what I'm saying? They want class. So, but, Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. We preach the Messiah has been murdered on a shameful cross. A stumbling block to the Jews, because it's not a sign, that's weakness. And folly to the Gentiles, because that's not wisdom, that's folly, right? But those who are called both Jew, those who are called, those who are Christians, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now this is critical. Because if Jesus' cross is the wisdom of God, then when we start to talk about a message of wisdom, which does not show up in any other text in all of the Bible, this utterance of wisdom seems to be linking back for the Corinthians to this. It's not about wise words and great preaching and all this stuff. Here's what it is. I believe we can just simply state that a message of wisdom, the word of wisdom, is the declaration of trust in the cross and its work. It is when you come to faith in Christ, you make the declaration of wisdom. You make the word of wisdom. You speak, I trust that Jesus Christ on the cross bore my sins. That is 
folly to the world. If you're into self-help, if you're into trying to have a church that's going to just give you five ways to make your life better, make yourself richer, all this stuff, you will try and it will fail and you will think you've tried Christianity and it hasn't worked. That's because Christianity is not about what you do and what you don't. It's about what Jesus did. In fact, what Jesus did is on the cross, he died to bear our failures. He died to bear our rebellion against God. He died to bear our evil that's in our hearts that we all know and we hide away and excuse away because we're good persons and all that stuff. And he comes in this humility and in the resurrection reveals to us that he alone has done what is right. He alone is innocent. He alone has borne our sins and forgiven us and disarmed us. So that when we stand before God, we stand forgiven, we stand right, we stand before the one who's made us. And when we receive that, and we see that as wisdom, that I can't do it myself, there's no self-help book out there, there's no philosophy that's going to come along, there's no religion out there that's going to get it all right, God has to do it for me, that becomes wisdom. And when you proclaim that, it becomes the word of wisdom. In fact, I believe also that this can come as applying the gospel. When you're helping out a friend or you're dealing with someone's marriage and suddenly you're able to apply with just insight the gospel into their scenario, helping them see where humility needs to come in or self-sacrifice needs to come in and they receive it, it's transforming. I've had this happen. In a phone call with a friend of mine, he was in difficulty in his marriage. He had been uh, struggling with some various lust issues, and his wife was done, basically saying, hey, you figure this out or you can't come back. And, and he was broken, and he didn't follow Christ at this point. But suddenly, in an act of humility, called me, and we struggled through this, and I just had the sense to just give him the understanding what the cross does. And in that moment when I did that, he was ready. He received it. He took it in. And I believe that that was an instance of a word of wisdom. He had trusted it, and when he made that declaration, it's the work of the Spirit. When I made that declaration, it's the work of the Spirit. And God may work in you applying that gospel, or he has already worked in all of us in giving us that word of wisdom speaking, meaning that we are standing up stating that the cross is wisdom. It is truth, and we live by it. So this is, this is the best I can get. This is a mysterious text, because when we look at what Paul is saying, we look here, this seems to be the closest that we can get. And so then we move to another kind of interesting word gift, and that is this, um, a word gift of knowledge. And a word gift of knowledge. Well, the last one we're talking about wisdom, and that being the cross, knowledge was another one of those things the Corinthians were way into. Notice in 1 Corinthians 12, he goes on, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge. So this is a message of knowledge of some kind. Well, what are we talking about knowledge? Well, if you'll go back in, in, in the book of Corinthians, again, you'll find knowledge is another big deal, right? In chapter 8, it's where we get this idea of knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. To say it again, knowledge puffs up. It makes people all, <laughs> but it's love that builds up. And, and the point here is that what we're looking at is that this depth of knowledge, this oddity of knowledge, was something that they thought was great, and they were using it to crush each other with. And Paul goes, hold on a second, the Spirit gives a knowledge. In fact, it's a strange kind of knowledge. It seems to be like a revelatory kind of knowledge. And the best illustration I can give you this is a time in one of my, other, one of my friend's lives. He's, he was dealing with somebody in his family, and as he was speaking with him and, and trying to help him out, and during a bit of counseling with him, he just got the impression that he needed to tell his, uh, his, his family member, like, listen, 
all that drinking that you're doing, when you do that, you're hearing voices, aren't you? you they're telling you to do these. And he named what these things were doing. The guy's eyes got huge, like, how do you know these things? What are you saying? And right there was knowledge that, that my friend shouldn't have had, but he had it because the Spirit of God had given it to him. And we see this throughout the scriptures. We see this with Ananias and, and Sapphira, right? Where they're trying to lie and sell off some of this land and keep some of it back. And they're lying. They're giving it all to the church. And Peter goes, you're lying to the Holy Spirit. I know this. Boom. Peter has this knowledge they shouldn't have. He has this knowledge that, that was kind of outside of that realm, of, of something hidden. In fact, when Paul talks about this idea, he says, if I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. So he gets into this idea that there's something about mysteries and knowledge involved that you shouldn't know these things. They're mysterious. They're in the heart of God or they're the heart of men and you bring it out. That may be a knowledge of scripture. It suddenly erupts and suddenly is clear and, and makes sense. It may be a knowledge of somebody else's personal life and boom, it breaks out. And this is that strange event in which God gives you some information you shouldn't have. Let me define it this way. A message of knowledge or a word of knowledge is a God-given message of insight into someone's life that points them to Christ. I believe it's, a, it's when someone comes up and they know that, it, that this is going on in your life. Famous story of Charles Spurgeon when he's preaching out to this large crowd. He sensed the Spirit of God was telling him about some particular individual. And he locked his eyes on this man. He says, the gloves that you are wearing right now were stolen. And God knows it, and you need to repent of it. It was completely correct. The man repented that night, admitted everything that he had done. He said, I don't know how you know. And Spurgeon just had to say, it was the Spirit of God. I just knew, I just knew it. It's, it's what I needed to say. These kinds of things happen. Daniel had the ability to see the dreams and understand what Nebuchadnezzar was going through. These are these gifts of knowledge that God gives us about mysteries, dreams, these kinds of things. Now, let's go back to our definition because I want to remind you that just like the word of wisdom is the spirit moving in our lives, the word of knowledge is the spirit working as well. This isn't something you own. So you just get to walk up to people and go, I know this about you. No, this is a working of the spirit. Remember our definition. It's what the spirit does through us, beyond us, for the church, right? So what does the spirit do in this case? He grants you knowledge about that person. What do you do? You speak it. You, you say it to them. And it goes beyond you because it will be affirmed that it's true. You couldn't have known that. It's affirmed by the person that you speak it to, and it'll be mind-blowing to you, but it should lift them up and draw them closer to Christ because it's for the church. It's a knowledge about what's going on in a certain area, in a certain place of the church, and you speak that about that, and boom, it's true, and the church is edified, it's strengthened, it's encouraged, it repents. This is the concept of a word of knowledge. As far as we can get out of this, it's interesting, but look, we need to do this correctly. See, words of knowledge are often used in churches in abusive manners. It's like, I come up and tell you, well, you've got to marry me, or, you know, you're in sin, and this, and it's like, uh, no. And we don't use a word of knowledge because you get some some silly feeling in your gut that, oh, no, it will happen typically, number one, in relationship. It's not going to happen very, as far as I've seen, outside of really the relationship where you know the people and you're engaged with the person. God's just not going to like, go talk to that stranger and tell them their name and all the. He might. I'm not saying he can't. 
But the, the in typical, this is going to work with somebody that you know. Because they're going to come through, it's going to break through. It can be with a non-Christian or a Christian. But it needs to be done with love. See, knowledge puffs up, right? Knowledge can puff you up. It can make you think you're all that in a bag of chips when you're actually, you know, one taco short of a combo plate. And the, and the bottom line is you need to be careful. We need to have humility. See, that's why Paul places in the middle of the entire section on, in 1 Corinthians here, verse, he goes to look at chapter 13. He goes to love. He says, love is patient. And so, if love is patient, that's how we use our spiritual gifts. You use your spiritual gifts in love. Well, use your spiritual gifts with, gifts with patience and kindness. Use your spiritual gifts, and you don't envy about you don't envy somebody else's, and you don't boast about yours. You're not arrogant. This is what God said. You're not rude about it. You don't insist on your way. No, this is right. I'm right. You're wrong. No. My friends, if we're going to engage in the word gifts, we're going to engage in whether it be a word of knowledge or a prophecy or even teaching or even uh, the evangelism, we must be doing these things in love. And we'll get to this in our last week, but the bottom line is we have to be careful not to walk around using our instincts to smash people. If it's from God, we need to go and we need to use some humility. Because here's the danger. Say you go up to somebody and say, well, God told me this. You're not, you, you can't be positive that God told you that yet. Because if it's wrong, God didn't tell you that. You made that up. And what you need to understand is that you can go to somebody and take God's name in vain. The third commandment of the Bible is, you shall, or the Ten Commandments is, you shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. And what he means by that is that you don't just use God's name as a cuss word. That's true. Don't do that. But at the same time, you don't use and apply to God something that is untrue to Him. It's called blasphemy. We try to proclaim God as something that He's not, or this was from God and it wasn't. You're blaspheming God. And that's a serious thing. We don't play around with that. And so I want to encourage you to understand that you need to act with humility when you think God may be speaking to you. You need to say something, you know, I'm not certain, but I feel like God's telling me to say this. Or, you know, I just want to be careful about this, but, you know, I just get the sense that God's telling me. And let me just say this, because it may not be, it may just be me. I may be wrong. Be humble about it. It's okay. And when you do that, you bring it out. You ask them the question. You state it. And if it's confirmed, rejoice with the Lord. If it's confirmed, you celebrate. You say, I'll praise God because you're going to know. That person's going to get freaked out. They may even lie to you, but at least then you can walk away. God will handle the rest. If it's true, it'll, it'll transform their life. It will lead them to Christ. It will bring them closer to their Lord. Because God, they just encountered God acting. And you stepped forward and did it. Right? All right. So... It's what the Spirit does through you, beyond you, and for the church. And so we want to do this with humility. Now, what happens if it's wrong? You say, hey, I guess I was wrong. I'm sorry. I'm good. Um, hey, thanks for listening to me. And we be gracious with each other, and, and, we, and we love on each other, and at least um, encourage one another for even trying to care about one another like that. And to be quite honest, I want to encourage you to do it. You'll regret when you don't. I have had several times in my life where I felt like God clearly spoke into my heart, you need to go talk to this person about a particular thing. In one case, it was about a debt that they owed, and I didn't do it. It was about a, a change in their life they were making as they were moving, and I wasn't willing to go up and say the hard thing, even though I'm in good relationship with them. 
and I regret it to this day. And that's how I really, really believe it was from the Lord. It's still sitting with me. It won't let me go. And so when you do that, take that step of faith. Take that step out and say it. And because um, you're going to regret it. And God, why would he give you another one if you didn't do it in the first one? And so I want to encourage you to see that this is a spiritual gift and it needs you to step out in trust. Trust in God is going to manifest and work in this way. And so that is the word gift of knowledge. Now, the third gift is also just as difficult as these last two we talked about, and it is the word gift of prophecy. Number three. Now, you're like, prophecy? Yes. Oh, we're going to talk about telling the future. Eh, not really. Um, and that's the fear I, I have. Lately, in the New York Times, there was an article speaking clearly about a prophecy that has been going on, and these prophets that are out there, quote-unquote, all out there on the internet making their prophecies on YouTube and stuff like that. And one of these men made it said, hey, I had a dream about President Donald Trump and he stumbled and two women came along and picked him up and took him across the line. And that means he's going to win his second term and it's going to be consecutive, all this kind of stuff. And so he makes this very clear prophecy. In fact, an entire conference was set up around these prophecies and people were celebrating and obviously it didn't happen. And what's even more maddening now is there are people out there defending the prophet saying, it did happen. What you're seeing right now is, isn't, he's spiritually the president. It was stolen from us. He really did win, but it didn't happen because the, the enemy won at all this stuff. And they're tying themselves in knots for something that God just didn't say. It's just not the reality. And so when I get into this prophecy section, I get nervous, okay? I don't want the, word, the name of Christ besmirched or destroyed, and I don't want this kind of thing misused, but misuse is exactly what the Corinthians were doing. They were misusing all these gifts. And Paul didn't tell them stop, he told them no, use them correctly. So when we talk about prophecy, we want to be careful because yes, we can get ourselves into some difficulty because it can, it can be taken the wrong way. And that's because this term prophecy is a very broad category in the scriptures. It has encompassed everything from preaching. Some people say that's forth-telling to telling the future. Uh, It's used with false prophets, who are those who are just trying to lead people away, whether they're making prophecies or not. Um, They're often found as the Old Testament texts are the prophets, right? We have this whole section. These are all the prophets and the prophecies. And so we're asking ourselves, like, okay, so... What is this gift the Spirit has given us? Can we write Scripture? And the answer is no, that's done. We don't get to write Scripture when it's not like the Mormon church that believes their prophets are writing new Scripture. So what is prophecy? Well, in the Old Testament, if you'll do a bit of a survey, this is the best I can get to right now. First of all, prophecies were of national scope. They were for kings of a nation, typically given, or they were about a nation, and it was always pointing the Israel. It was national in scope for Israel, focused on Israel and their neighbors, pointing Israel back to the covenant, back to their God who is powerful. And so as you read any of the prophecies that are written, any of the prophets, they're going to be going, Israel, it's about you. It's about your enemies. Enemies, this is about you and what you did wrong, and you're reckoning with God, but we're pointing you to the covenant of God and to the future coming of Christ, the future coming of the kingdom of God. And so they would lay out blessings, and they would lay out warnings and its consequences. And this gift was not given to everyone. It was limited to the prophets, to only a few 
men and women in the, in the Old Testament. The Spirit of God would come upon those men and women, and they would prophesy, and then he would leave. Very different in the New Testament. In fact, in the New Testament, it says that the, that the prophecy, this gift, seems to be with everybody. Because the Spirit has come to all Christians who are saved. Notice how the book of Acts puts it. Peter is preaching and he quotes Joel. He says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. It goes on to say your servants will prophesy, all this stuff. And the point is the Spirit of God is coming so that we would be proclaimers of the things of God. We'd become those who can indeed prophesy. Now, in this weird way, there is one who is the only prophet in all the church, and that's Jesus Christ. He is the prophet. In fact, Jesus is the king and Jesus is the priest. But here's what's interesting. We, in Christ, are going to be rulers because Christ is the ruler. We in Christ are priests. We're the priesthood of all believers. And in a way, there's a, prof there's a prophetic ministry of all believers. We're the, prof the prophets of Christ because we're in Christ. Now, in that way then, this is different than the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is limited to some. The New Testament seems to be for everybody. And yet then, the focus is different. It's not on the nation Israel. It's on the church. In fact, I believe focused, prophecies are focused mainly on the regional church, the local church prophesies to our congregations, and it points to Christ. It points to His hope. It points us away from our sins and back to living in Christ as blessing and warning and consequence. And these seem to be available. Now, this doesn't mean that we get to write scriptures. That was given to the apostles. The capital A apostles wrote the scriptures. They knew Christ, and those who were with them had heard the words of Christ and wrote them down. So when we get the scriptures, what we have are what the apostles by the Spirit are inspired to write, not this New Testament prophecy. Now, the prophecy that you and I are going to be engaged with is not teaching either. It's not just teaching. I believe that it can be used in that way. But when Paul is going to talk about it, he's going to be using it differently than teaching. In fact, I know this because in Romans chapter 12, he differentiates between them. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let's use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching. So what I'm doing right now, while I'm proclaiming the things of God, I'm proclaiming it from the text. That's teaching, as we'll see in a minute. Prophecy is the proclamation of something God's revealed to us that concerns the church. And, and so what we see here, it's a spontaneous, God-given message for the good of the community. Get that? It, it's a, prophecy is a spontaneous, God-given message for the good of the church community. All right, so th that's one of the reasons why I don't think the Trump thing was a real prophecy. That's not that they're the good of the church community. That was about a political idea, and probably it was him getting in the way. Because when we talk about this, this community concept, it may be a warning to the community. In fact, we see one of these in the book of Acts. Agabus, who is neither an apostle nor anyone else, he's just a prophet in the church. He says, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So there's a church in Antioch that was formed, and these prophets are coming down. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So it came true. 
And here's how the church responded. Agabus states this, it starts to happen, the church responds in this way. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief. So according to his financial capacity, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending to it, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. And so the church relieved itself. It was for the good of the community, the good of the church, that they knew something was coming that we'd be prepared for it. Now, another case that we can see is that prophecy may direct the community. In the book of Acts, again, a few, a few chapters later, we see that the calling of Barnabas and Saul was set out. That while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work in which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and set them off. This may be a word of knowledge, maybe a word of wisdom, whatever. It's very likely this was given as a prophecy to them. Hey, we need to set these guys apart. It's, it's a revealing of what God has for the congregation. And God may use this kind of thing in the elders and the leadership to call people out to church plant, to grow, to do these things. In fact, it can encourage a direct person to act for Christ. We see this in Timothy. Timothy is told, I, I charge and I entrust, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. This is not the teachings previously made about you. Now, these were things spoken about this young man that were to encourage him so he could stand up in his ministry. And these men stood and said, this is what God's going to do. This is how he's going to work in your life, or this is the gifts that you have. And, and this was the declaration. They laid hands upon him, and they prayed for him and sent him out. And so it can be for encouragement of the community, encouragement to Christians to stay faithful. It can be an application of God's word to a congregation. It can come through in all kinds of ways. And I believe the more that you're in the Word of God, the more likely He's going to bring knowledge of what we need to speak to one another, and therefore God works. But it's in conjunction again to the Scriptures. This comes first, not the prophecy. If it doesn't line up with the Scriptures, it's just not worth listening to. And that's why what's interesting is every time a prophecy is really spoken about, they say they need to test them. In fact, in the city of Thessalonica, in a letter written again by Paul to his church, he tells them this, don't quench the spirit. You know, don't despise prophecies. Don't be like, prophecies, this is ridiculous. We're not supposed to do that. He says, but test everything. Test the prophecies. Test these. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Abstain from the junk. Don't You test and hold fast to the good ones. And so we are supposed to test the prophecies when they're given. In fact, Paul in Corinthians chapter 14, if you're there and just look down at it, it's very clear. He says in verse 29, hey guys, we need to weigh what is said. Let two or three prophets speak, then let others weigh what is said. Now, what does that mean? That means that these prophecies can come forth, but they need to be tested because there are other spirits in this world. Other spirits? At least there's a spirit of God in your spirit your spirit can get in the way and want to proclaim something in the church because you got a bugaboo and you're frustrated and you want to misuse prophecy. Don't do it. It's a dangerous game to play. I would never allow that to happen. But sometimes we deceive ourselves. Your spirit may be in the way. There are false spirits in this world that would love to declare things to the church. And indeed, they can proclaim things to the church through immature believers and other people who aren't cautious and aren't standing there. And we need to make sure, hey, is this true or is this false? 
And so the, this is how it would work at Olive Branch. If you sense that God has like given you something, it will happen for the church. Typically, it will happen in a church setting. You should bring it to an elder or you should bring it to a pastor, a staff member. Let them know what it is. That will be written down. You won't forget it. If it's a real prophecy, you won't forget because it's, you're under control of it. You can wait. When you bring it to them, we'll write it down. We can bring it to the elders, and then the elders will evaluate it. We'll test it. We'll look at it. We'll discern it. We'll see the scriptures say about it. If we don't think it's helpful or healthy for the body, it won't come out. It won't be needed. We'll be set it aside. We're not going to despise them all, but what's good, we're going to proclaim. What's good, we're going to encourage. What's good, we're going to set out. And so don't turn everything into a prophecy, and don't turn your desires to just encourage people into prophecies. That's not the point, because... When prophecy is wrong, we don't need to ignore it. If you continually falsely prophesy and it's harming the church and hurting people, guess what? Yeah, you're going to be you're going to end up in church discipline. If you're saying a prophecy and it doesn't come true and you were like adamant it was God, that is breaking third commandment and there needs to be repentance. And I believe that there's a there's a backing off that needs to be done. Now, not all of them are that way. And so we need to understand that prophecy is what the spirit does. He's the one who gives you the, the information. He gives you the revelation. He gives you that information for the community or that person. And we do it through us. So we speak it to our leadership, which it's then beyond us. It will be deemed worthy. It'll be like, wow, this is truly the real thing. And it will be given to the church and the church will be admonished. It'll come true. And so this is the case that we need to realize. And if a prophecy is wrong, then hey, in some cases we just. We just ignore it and despise it. In other cases, depending on how arrogant and how bad it has been promoted, there's church discipline to be done. So let's be careful. This isn't something we goof around with. You need to be assured that the Spirit of God has given you something. When you bring it forward, let's be humble in love, knowing it needs to be tested. All right. Now, the last, or the last two gifts are easier. Those were the hard ones. The last two gifts, the word of the of the spirit, uh, and the word gifts is this. First one is evangelism. Uh, this is found in Ephesians chapter four, where Paul says that God gave to the, or Jesus gave the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for the building of the body of Christ. This again is what these word gifts kind of mean. We'll put, we'll put these other ones in their uh, places later for leadership and service. But evangelists, guys, if you're gifted with evangelism, it, it means that you're going to have a powerful effect in evangelism that the average person doesn't have. Remember that we're all supposed to evangelize. We're all supposed to be engaged in evangelism. It doesn't mean because I don't have the gift of evangelism, I don't go do it. We all need to share Christ. And we've given you guys ways to do that. And what's going to happen is some of you, as you step out, God's going to use you in great ways. He may bring multiple people to faith in one, in one proclamation. You may find that people just give their life to Christ around you because you're sharing your faith. And it's a dynamic thing because you're willing to ask them and the Spirit of God is working. This isn't your winsomeness or your creativity or your ability. It's a gift of God working through you. And so suddenly you're going to see, wow, God is really beginning to act. And let me just clarify this. When you have the gift of evangelism, it doesn't mean you really enjoy apologetics. You really like to get out there and debate with people. That's not the gift of evangelism. Again, the gift of evangelism is the Spirit of God working through you meaning he takes and empowers your words as you preach the gospel, right? He works, 
empowering you as you preach. That's what you do. And people come to faith on a greater level than you could have imagined. That is beyond you, and it builds the church by people coming into the church. Now, this means something. If you say, I don't have the gift of evangelism, but you are not out there sharing the gospel, you don't know that. I believe there are a lot of people with the gift of evangelism that just aren't sharing the gospel. And because they don't do it, they don't realize what God has gifted them with. I want to encourage you to share Christ. I want all of us to be engaged in sharing Christ because you don't know where that gift of evangelism may appear. And suddenly, if that's you, I'd love, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to connect with you because getting you out there to meet people and to share your faith with people, having your testimony displayed at church, having the opportunity to, to be at a camp and proclaim the gospel, having the opportunity to get up and, and actually invite people to Christ at an outreach event is going to be what God wants you to do. And we want to encourage you in that and allow you to use your gift. Let us know if that if God's doing an inordinate work through you as you're preaching the gospel, let's do that. We need more evangelists in our culture, not less. Amen? All right. Last spiritual gift in this. And that is this. The, the last gift is teaching. Um, the word gift of teaching is again seen here and multiple places throughout the scriptures but Ephesians chapter 4 and for the sake of time because it's understandable we're not going to dive super deep into it but again he says he gave them teachers now teachers are those who take the word of God we're able to understand the word we're able to then deliver the word and it's not so much that I just can teach it it's that it has an inordinate effect the people understand it they grasp it that they are gifted with the ability to understand the Spirit of God speaks to them in the Scriptures, shows how it applies to the people's lives, and the people are changed. Lots of people can teach, don't get me wrong. You have the ability to actually you know, stand up and teach all kinds of things, mathematics and English and all these things, but when we come to the Word of God, it is an insight and an ability to make sense of the Word of God accurately and apply it to the people around you. Now, again, this is something that the Spirit does. I sense it all the time. Sometimes I'm stuck, and I just ask God, what in the world does this mean? And he starts to bring texts and thoughts and people, and sometimes He helps me to make it clear. But guess what? It's the effect. There are times I will preach a lousy sermon, technically. There will be a time I will teach a lousy lesson, and it just blows people away with what they learn. The Spirit of God applies it. It opens their hearts up. And this is something I just see constantly in my life. And so that gift of teaching can often be just that God loves to use that. And he loves to put this in that way. Now, if you have that gift, if God's working through you, beyond you, and uh, finally for the church, as the church is built up with knowing the word of God, uh, what do you do? I should be the pastor. No, it's the idea of you have options to start a Bible study through our small groups. Invite people into that Bible study. Teach. We have classes. We, we need people who are able to bring their knowledge to put it together and teach the lessons. We need people in the church who can jump in in men's and women's studies and, and teach in those areas. Guys, there's lots of places for you to use your gift of teaching. And the skills of teaching can grow. But again, you're going to see people get it and understand and, and grasp what you're saying in a greater way. And that may be through devotionals and writings and everything else. But all of this is going to be under the authority of the elders. A teacher doesn't get to go off and teach a small group what they think is cool. 
They need to stay within the guidelines of their elders. It's about that humility, not about being arrogant or being above themselves. Our elders are here to protect and guide the word of our, our teaching of the Word of God. We have a doctrinal statement that guides and leads us, and therefore a teacher is someone who's willing to submit themselves to the leadership of the church and, and teach. That doesn't mean there's not challenge or conversation, but the gift of teaching is going to be one that's subordinated under the authority that is given to us in the Word of God first and the elders second. So I just want to encourage you guys, if one of these gifts is something that's showing up as your out there ministering, as you're out there serving, you know, make note of it. If somebody else is saying, hey, I really think you've got this gift, take knowledge of that. Take, you know, take that stock. If you see God working in your life and you step out and you're going to take that chance on a, on a word of knowledge because you feel like, hey, he just told me to say this to my friend, step out. Do it with humility. Do it with love. But I believe when God does this, you're going to find people are encouraged. They're going to find that more people will come to faith because we're willing to take the risk on God and He speaks through us and they go like, how did you know that? Because God knows you. God loves you. And if you're using that evangelism, we're going to see more people come to Christ because the point of the gifts is not to make you awesome, not to make me awesome, not to make anybody awesome in the church. It's awesome to be used, but to make Christ known as Lord and to build up His body, His church. If you see these gifts in you, I want to encourage you today to use them. And I want to encourage you to step in. And if you don't know if you don't have them, I want to encourage you a couple, one, one, couple things. Number one, get out there and engage in, your, uh, in a membership class or in a ministry of some kind. Start somewhere and begin to see what God does. Two, take that spiritual gifts inventory. It's online and it's also on our app. And this gives you the opportunity just to kind of look at it, do it with someone else so they can affirm what they're seeing. But don't do it by yourself only. It's the beginning of a conversation, but then begin the journey. Look, guys, let's not just go to church. Let's be the church. The best way to be the church is to use the gifts God has given you. Hey, I'm glad you're with us and you're, you're studying through these things today. I want to encourage you. Maybe today you need to make that word of wisdom. You need to speak out that you trust the cross. I want to encourage you to do that. If that's you, right where you're at, make that declaration. Let somebody know. Say, I'm, I'm ready. I'm sick and tired of doing it myself. I want to trust that Jesus Christ has borne my sins. If that's you. I want you to do that right now. Make that good declaration. You can simply do that by um, letting that moderator know or just letting us know. You can do it through the website. You can do it through the, our app. And you can just say, hey, I've made this decision and I, I need to know where do I begin. And so we want to encourage you to do that. And we want to help you make that decision. Let us know. Contact the church. We want to encourage you in that. Otherwise, I want to pray over everybody who's watching that as the Spirit of God blesses you and uses you, that He would use you greatly in these word gifts. Let's pray. Father, I just ask that you would indeed just take those who are watching and that as they discover what word gifts they may have, that you would help them to use them, help them to use them in humility, help them to use them in humility and in a way that would build up the church. And God, that olive branch would be built. We praise you that you have given us these gifts. Let us grow in our knowledge and trust of you because you allow us to speak these wonderful things. We surrender our hearts to you, God. You are a good God. Thank you for what you've given to us. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, if you've been joining us, thank you for doing that. We're glad you've been with us. If you are new with us, would you let us know? You can simply text the word new to the number at the bottom of the screen, 
We will get connected with you as you're getting connected with us. You may have questions you want to dig out. You may have some curiosities. That's awesome. Let us know. In fact, what I want to encourage you guys as you go today is to remember that the glory is not to us. If God's doing great things, let it be to his name. Not to us, not to us, but to his name be the glory. Amen. May that be the case for you guys as you go. Hey, if you're around somebody, would you just tell them hi? If you're online, say hi to somebody else. And be sure to connect with us. If you haven't connected with us yet, we still have outdoor services that are available. You can be there at distance and safe. We would love to see you at some point. Be safe. God bless. Thank you for joining us. We will see you next week.